So, morning everybody. Um, good to have you with us. Uh, well, I say morning, I don't know if it's morning when you're listening to this, but good to have you with us. Um, morning, Dave. Hello. So, you're looking forward to Wales, Ireland this uh, Saturday? So, my two brothers are coming over this weekend for the match, like we're going to the game, but I've made a vow not to speak about Ireland v Wales fixtures because the first, because. first year is at the bridge. I made a joke whenever I was service leading about, oh, I hope you enjoy Ireland beating Wales this afternoon. And then Ireland lost to Wales. And I got multiple aggressive messages about how do you like them apples? And I was like, do you know what? Lesson learned. I'm not going to do this again. Yeah, but let's be honest. There's not a lot of chance of Wales winning this, this Saturday, is there? I'm not taking the bait. Come on, Dave. I'm not taking it. Be honest. I'm not taking the bait. <laughs> And now I've got Dave warmed up. He's looking very red in the face now. Um, let's dive into Hebrews chapter 9. So um, you're got, for, I've got my fists up. We're all <laughs> ready for a scrap. Uh, your first point was that the tabernacle, which we've been thinking about for a few weeks now, haven't we? Yeah. And it comes up next time as well. The tabernacle teaches us about worship. And that you also said worship is worth-ship, is giving God his, his due and his glory and showing what he's worth. Yeah. So... Practical question, I suppose, to, to develop a bit more what you said on Sunday. How should that inform what we do on Sundays Yeah, and how we do it? Yes, I think it is helpful to remind ourselves that our worship of God isn't a free-for-all. It's not, God doesn't save the people from slavery in Egypt and then says, no, just do whatever you want in worship. In fact, in Exodus 32, we see the incident of the golden calf that, the people of Israel's attempt at worship before they're given the directions of the tabernacle, etc. They eat, sleep with each other, and they go a bit bonkers. So I think what is helpful about Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, it tells us that there is an order, there's a structure to worship, which informs sort of what we call the normative and the regulative versus the regulative principles in worship. So Normative is anything that is not expressly forbidden can be used in services. So you'd say drama, special music, like a solo, uh, movie clips, PowerPoint presentations Hmm. can be used because they're not forbidden in scripture. So that's down the more sort of open freedom end of the spectrum in terms of what we do in worship, right? Exactly. So, like, for example, people who more closely hold to the regulative principle probably wouldn't have had a picture of the tabernacle Mm. on the screen because they'd say, well, it's the preacher's job to paint the picture with his his words. Uh, Regulative is about what the church may do whenever it assembles. So churches aren't free to do whatever they want to do. It must only be what scripture instructs and requires them to do. So when the church gathers to worship, its worship is to be according to scripture. So back in Northern Ireland, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, but there was another church called the Reformed Presbyterians. I don't know if Lois is an RP, to be fair, but they would only sing Psalms yep. because they're saying we worship according to scripture by the book. So uh, uh, regulative uh, would be reformed traditionally, and they would say uh, read scripture, preaching prayer sung praise and the administration of the sacraments and oaths and i suppose at the bridge mm. we have a bit of a balance don't we so uh we we do keep things that are explicitly central in scripture so the word prayer singing 
doing things in an orderly manner. Mm. Uh, but we aren't against informality. You know, even on Sunday, for example, we had I interviewed Alan about camps in the summer. There's yeah. no scriptural direction to do that. So we have interviews, videos, PowerPoint, uh, and all the time we want to be governed by scripture, but we don't want to slide either into legalism mm. or licentiousness. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the word? <laughs> so it, I think at the bridge, we have quite a good balance. Yeah. Um, like my mom and dad, the previous week I'd mentioned just said, uh, like back home, for example, you'd be like, we're going to stand up, sing a song, sit down, mm. read the scripture, stand up, sit, as in, yeah. you know to gotcha. exactly what's happening. Whereas at the bridge generally, we know what's going to happen, don't we? But some weeks there may be an interview, yeah. there may be different elements, isn't there? I think that's really helpful. So just to make sure we got this right, regulative, yeah. so a strong version of the regulative would be if it's not in scripture, you can't do it. Yes, you would say, yeah. Exactly. And normative, strong normative, extreme normative would be anything goes. Yes. So normative would be extreme seeker sensitive. Yeah. So let's make a really welcoming, inviting for the non-Christian yeah. so that, you know, we can have, I don't know, balloons. We can have yeah. a disco yeah. sort of thing yeah. in order to attract people in. And, and I guess most sort of Bible evangelical churches are going to be somewhere towards the middle of that spectrum in that they can say, yeah, the, the things that scripture says we must do, they're the non-negotiables, yeah. but there is also an element of freedom yeah. in terms of the other bits that we can helpfully put in a service to God's glory. Yeah. And I think that's, whenever you say freedom, it's what, like it's wisdom dictates yeah. the freedom. Absolutely. You can't just go yeah. bonkers. And that there's biblical principles to apply on there, not just commands on this. Yeah. And I think, seeing the obvious, but we think a lot about what goes into Sunday service. Mm. So mm. it's not just, oh, like, why don't we just do these? That's what the service leaders do a really good job of. They just pick their four favorite songs mm. and a Bible passage that they fancy. It, it sort of works through the theme, yeah. doesn't it? It's also interesting that when you um, you look at the New Testament for, for in Acts, there's not a lot of rules and regulations there about how no. the church does worship. Then no. there are certain things that keep cropping up. So yeah. we think, right, so that's what we must be doing. Yeah. But there's an element of freedom freedom there too. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really helpful to think about that stuff. Um, yeah. So the follow-up to that, you mentioned that the tabernacle showed them that God was in their midst. Yeah. And that God being in their midst was both a comfort and a warning. Yeah. So just to extend from the last question a bit, if we're the if we are now in the new covenant, are the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, I guess the comfort is obvious, but is there any sense of the warning when we think about what it is to be gathered church? Yeah. I think even as well, you can take a step back and think about Jesus, the the word made flesh, the word tabernacled amongst us. There was a comfort in how he yeah. went around, you know, reaching sinners, lost people. But there's also a constant warning to those who were living sinful lives or the Pharisees. So, so we're followers of Jesus. So we we sort of deal with that tension, don't we? So comfort is obvious at church to get back to your question. But the warning, uh, I think we talk about the warning whenever it comes to communion. So we say if someone eats the body and the blood of the Lord in an unworthy manner, they eat and drink condemnation upon themselves. We don't just think that's a made-up thing that's a genuine warning that if you are doing that in a sinful wicked way like you will be judged for that Mm -hmm. um so lord willing we don't have to do it that often but whenever we exercise church discipline we do this because as hebrews tells us 
without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So the, the danger, the warning being gathered as the people of the Lord is that judgment begins with the household of faith. Yeah. So since we know the Lord, we have to take seriously the, the teachings and the warnings of scripture and not to be complacent. Yeah. And that's maybe something we need to talk about a bit more another time, talk about church discipline. That's yeah. an interesting one, isn't it? It can be a can seem like a really negative phrase. But in, in one sense, church discipline is us discipling each other. Yeah. It's positive and negative. It's encouraging each other and saying, come on, Dave, yeah. you, know, that you, you need good. to not be living that way. Yeah. But, but sometimes it gets <laughs> to the point that a public process needs to be gone through, doesn't it? Which yeah. mercifully we've avoided thus yeah. far with the bridge. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because people will be like, oh, can't we just focus on Jesus? Mm. Matthew 18. Jesus talks about church <laughs> exactly. discipline. Yeah, very, very clear. And again, he gives that process, a very wise process, doesn't he, to work through? It's as though he's the Lord of all the universe or something. <laughs> I was also thinking as you were answering that question uh, that um, in, well, we're going to be coming to it a few weeks down the line. I mean, in Hebrews 12, the writer says, you know, we, that we should worship God with reverence and awe. So yeah. this is to a new covenant community. And he's saying, you have, you know, we don't lose the reverence and all because there's this freedom in Christ and yeah. full salvation in him. That is still there. Yeah. Yeah. So you were very clear uh, on the need for the shedding of blood to deal with sin. That's a key theme in that chapter, isn't it? Well, yeah. And how all of the sacrifices are pointing to the death of Jesus and the seriousness of sin. Yeah. So do you think, um, we're on some heavy topics this morning, yeah, aren't we? Straight but do, do you think we we do see the serious of, seriousness of sin as Christians, as gathered church? Oh, absolutely not. Hmm. As in, I know that sounds really harsh. Lead, kind of a leading question. Yeah. Because, <laughs> well, I just don't think we any of us think that the lies we tell or the things that we do are really that bad because we're not immediately smote. smited I I think what is incredible as well is that the thing about the people of Israel every single day of their lives an animal, they knew an animal was slaughtered for their sin we read about the daily sacrifices in Leviticus Mm. you'd think that would help them see it, their sin as a bit more serious or tangible but even they became complacent I feel like as human beings we just become complacent Mm -hmm. so as we for us as a church in particular we are guilty aren't we of respectable sins sins that we don't think are too bad but again this is why we need to read our bibles james 1 is helpful james 1 14 each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and are enticed often we don't think of our desires as evil do we Mm -hmm. think of them as neutral then after desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when fully grown gives birth to death i think we don't view the small things seemingly small mm. sins as leading to death but this james seems to say here that it's the seed of greater evil and wickedness and evil yeah. so david looking up Bathsheba, i'm sure he's like oh, i'm just having a wee look here no big deal but that seed planted leads to murder adultery and ultimately the devastation of his kingdom and family so the short answer is no we don't see the seriousness Mm. but the bible consistently warns us to see the seriousness of it and it's interesting isn't it that i think i think you're absolutely right if if you were a a jew in old testament times you certainly should have seen heard smell something of the seriousness of sin because of all the sacrifices well, if we're really looking to the cross of Jesus, you know, that should be stirring love and gratitude in us and awe of what Jesus yeah. And also, it should also 
horror. Yeah, that this is what my sin cost. Yeah, by looking to the cross, by looking to the great sacrifice. Yeah, I I remember listening to something by uh, John Piper, um, and he was talking about whenever you're tempted to sin, think about Jesus on the cross yeah. and what a cost, and. He said that whenever he told someone to do this, they were like, oh, I tried that. And Piper was like, how long did you do it for? 30 seconds? A minute? He's like, if sin is that serious, you need to hold that thought of the cost of sin in your mind for 30 minutes so you can fight off the temptation to to lust, to steal, whatever it may be. So, side point there, sorry. Uh, well, and something we'll keep again. These themes keep looping back, don't they? They think we're going to be coming to the the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Yeah. Uh, so this this real security in Christ because of His once for all sacrifice. But then at the same time, if that sacrifice is really availed for you, you'll be growing in holiness. Yeah. And that that's a sign that you will see the Lord. It's yeah. you can't get away from this the sin versus holiness themes. You said um, right nitpicky question warning. You, we, we were talking about this offline. We and Dave, love it. Dead off air and Dave said I was being nitpicky, so I'm going to enjoy this one. I think I rolled my eyes when... <laughs> <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> you said... Uh, um, I'm that, imagining it's Sophia that does that and not I Tom. Sophia, I didn't mention your name. <laughs> Dave did. You said that when we take communion, we symbolically drink Jesus' blood. For, for the record, I agree with that statement. That's yeah. a, an accurate statement. But I, I suppose that could be understood two ways. It could be understood to mean we drink something that's a symbol of his blood, yeah, a symbol of his death, yeah, or that we drink his actual blood as a symbol of his sacrifice. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say, but which one did you mean and why does it matter? Yes, I think what I was trying to communicate is that we talk about drinking the Lord's blood and eat his body until he returns. So it's not literally Jesus' blood we drink a communion. The wine is a symbol of his blood, of his sacrifice. It's not transubstantiation yeah. as the catholics believe hey, in summary big, big word alert yeah. yeah we've got to get one in each podcast yeah. yeah yeah i think that that's um that's important to say isn't it and that and also that we don't it's not that jesus shed blood that there was something magical about the actual physical blood itself it's the fact that it stands for his stood for his death in our place isn't yes it? Yeah. yes so um follow-up doctrinal question yep you said that uh, you need to be right with god and his blood is needed. Yeah. And you know, this this isn't me being just facetious, because again, you know what I really think here, but a lot of people will answer this question, and some churches would, would query this. Couldn't God in his sovereignty and power just have ignored our sin, swept away our sin, without the death of his son? Did Jesus really have to die this this terrible death to deal with our sin? Uh, I'm going to say, no, he couldn't just sweep it away. So yes, Jesus really mm. did have to die because it wouldn't be justice. Like it wouldn't be fair for wickedness to just not be dealt with. It means that people who have suffered awful, evil, wicked abuse would not have justice be done. It would be God saying that that is that's okay. That's excusable. No punishment is required. I suppose it would just be contrary to his character, wouldn't it? Mm. It would mean going against his words. It would be saying, oh yeah, what I said about you know, judgment is mine, declares the Lord. It would be saying that that's not true. Mm-hmm. I suppose the devil would have a field day if the Lord went back on his words, yeah. if he wasn't yeah. true to himself. And, I mean, on a human level, as a kid, whenever your parent does something you think is unfair, mm-hmm. you immediately 
want justice. You want the chocolate that your brother or sister got, <laughs> and you just as in, yeah. as in, if we do just say, surely God could just do it. We don't understand God that He's holy, His unchanging need. Like He would have to change. He would have to change who He is, and yeah. that He can't do that. I totally agree that you know Jesus had to die. Well, interestingly, I did this last year with uh, resource when we did the doctrine of the atonement. There's, there's one sense in which Jesus didn't have to die. Yeah, in that he didn't have to save us. Yeah, what's that? That's the um, that's the uh, absolute necessity. That there's no absolute necessity that God had to atone for sin. Yeah. But once yeah. God had decided to, the consequent necessity of the atonement is yes, the son had to die. And, yeah. and why else would God do it otherwise if there yeah. was some other way? Yeah, and there's mystery in that as well, isn't there, in that the Lord Jesus in the garden says, Father, like, take this cup yeah. from me. Yeah. So, and just humanity is struggling with, with yeah. doing that. Yeah, it's a mystery. Um, okay, slightly different question. Yeah. Um, not quite as core to the gospel as that last question, but just a, as a matter <laughs> of interest hyssop yeah in verse 19 and scarlet wool yeah uh, where does that come in what's what's all that about it's interesting because it's not mentioned in exodus 24 but the, they are mentioned in leviticus 14 for example uh where it talks about sprinkling a leper or unclean house so i think in the biblical era people didn't have access to the products that we have today so they often relied on naturally occurring resources like plants, animal byproducts, and minerals for cleansing, cooking food, medicine, etc. And hyssop was a, a herb, it's a mint apparently, which had cleansing, medical, flavoring properties. So hyssop was the branch yeah, yeah, that the hyssop is the branch the Israelites used to wipe their door frames with the blood of the Passover lamb. David in Psalm fifty one yeah. talks about being uh, cleanse with hyssop so it's that's what i was just looking that up i couldn't remember exactly where it was that psalm 51 yeah, yeah. so it's that's the sort of image it's a it's an item that the israelites used for cleansing well cleansing sinners essentially so it's, it's another way to highlight put that flavor of yeah cleansing in the text yeah, yeah i like it yeah so apparently we had a, a listener question. Yep. Uh, Lennox had a question about verse 23. Yeah. <clears throat> Is there a literal tabernacle with decorations on which Christ's blood purified? In heaven, yeah. Yeah, in heaven. And also, isn't heaven already pure? Yeah. So I think when this verse refers to the copies of heavenly things, this is another reference to how the physical components of the old covenant are meant to be symbolic of the ministry of Jesus Christ. So I think... This is helpful from Charles Spurgeon. He says this, Was the heavenly place itself defiled? No, that cannot be. Mm. But if you and I had gone there without atonement by blood, heaven would have been defiled. Look at the crowds of one sinful men and women who are daily entering there to d dwell with God. How could they come there if the heavenly places had not been prepared for them? Look at the multitude of our prayers and praises that are daily going up there. Are they not all in a measure impure? And would it not have been defiled? Would heaven not have been defiled to accept them? But the Lord has gone there and has sprinkled His blood upon the mercy seat, that our prayers and praise indeed, and ourselves also may enter without let or hindrance. Mm. So Spurgeon there is saying that there's not those physical things in heaven per se, but it's to help us understand the access that we have into yeah. God's yeah. throne room. Got to have a bit of Spurgeon, haven't you? Yeah. Um, Okay, so last question for you this morning, Dave. Yeah. Uh, before I ask you again, you know, how you think 
Ireland are going to do against Wales. <laughs> so what else did you glean from this chapter you didn't get the chance to share? Always nice to ask that in case there's anything else you thought. I would have loved to have time to say that. Yeah, I think I think this passage nearly saw me off, as you were well aware of, um, and Amy was definitely aware of. I think what's really helpful about Hebrews 9 is it does help us with our big Bible picture. So we have the most holy place, um, and the tabernacle has the curtain, and then that becomes the curtain in the temple. And that sort of picture of Jesus' death tears down yeah. that curtain. Mm -hmm. uh, someone on Sunday was saying to me, like, oh, I just thought that was theatrics, <laughs> you know, just a dramatic sort of symbol. Oh, look, Jesus' death did something in the temple. But that sort of idea that sinners can come into God's presence because they're made holy mm -hmm. by the once and for all sacrifice. I think as well, all this stuff about blood, it helps us understand on the night Jesus was betrayed in Luke 22, he says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So the covenant, the old covenant, inaugurated by blood, the new covenant, inaugurated by blood. It's just helpful to sort of, I suppose whenever you read through the Bible, it helps you make those connections. Because in some way, some people might, I don't know if people felt this way, but some people might have thought, why aren't we doing an Old Testament book? We haven't done an Old Testament mm. book in a while. Hebrews and is... We kind of have in a way, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that's what I've, I find coming from this. I feel as well, like some of the stuff on verses 27, 28, my last thing was, are you ready? Mm. I mean, you could do a whole sermon on verse 27, 28. You could do a whole evangelistic talk on that, that yeah. the reality... <laughs> I didn't. I didn't center on because there had been so much blood in the passage. Then be like, look, congregation, every single person in this room, one hundred percent, is going to die. Yeah. What? How does that make you feel? What are you going? Like, it could have gone there. Hmm. Think about it. I wish I had have gone there because <laughs> it is. Well, hey, yeah, a lot of people are listening into this. So yeah, so uh, it would have made it, it would have made us think. Yeah. I'll read the verse actually. Is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Mm -hmm. Just to think, one day we will die, and we'll meet our maker. Are you ready? And that first shows, doesn't it, why it's so urgent to proclaim the gospel, because they, that, that, that's ruling out there'd been any chance after death of responding. Yeah. Um, once to die, and then the judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Important sure. stuff. Well, thanks for that, Dave. Um, and uh, pray for me as I'm preparing for uh, the next chapter because it covers the same sort of themes. I'm probably just going to focus in on a verse or two. Yeah. But looking forward to that this coming Sunday. And uh, Joe, one, one more stab. So you, you're not going to give us a prediction? No. <laughs> so you don't believe in your team then, really, is, is what, you're, what you're saying? I have faith in the boys <laughs> to, to do what's necessary. <laughs> but I'm going to get any more out than that. No. I yeah. It also just like as soon as you put some, I I'm a rubbish I'm a rubbish pundit because as soon as you say something, then whenever you're wrong, I was like, oh, you're wrong. Like yeah, but at least I put my neck out and said <laughs> Ireland will win 35-17. set That's your prediction. Yeah, hey, we've got a prediction. <laughs> if that that sounds realistic to me. Um, yeah, based on some of Wales' previous performances, I'd be fairly happy with that. Though obviously, I'd love a surprise win. 
But then I've just said impossible. I just said thirty five seventeen and Gatlin loves stopping people scoring tries and if someone gets a red card it could be the other way so who knows so you heard it everybody 35 17 if it's not that make sure you chat to dave on sunday if <laughs> if it is 35 17 next week for the podcast you're bringing I'll a be tre- in humble pie. you're bringing in a treat for me for getting it right <laughs> deal okay see you all on sunday <laughs>